the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. Hello, and as the house lights are going down, we are now entering (laughs) the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem. I, of course, am not Emily Anger. Uh, My name is Scott Flovin. I am a apprentice elder at uh, Liberty Collingswood, filling in this week. And I have, of course, uh, the good Reverend Jim Anger here with me. How are you doing, Jim? I am doing good, Scott. I'm excited for you. So, So Emily is starting a job this week, and it felt like a bridge too far to fit in this podcast with her specifically with the week that she's starting. So Scott, thank you for being a guest host. And everybody should know that 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 Scott is among the howlinest of the howling wolves. So here you are on the other side of the curtain all of a sudden, Scott, how's it feel? Yeah. So, you know, you talk about the uh, podcast as a way to sort of peek behind the curtain of the right. sermon. I feel like as I prepped for uh, being the guest host, I got to peek be- behind the curtain behind the curtain so i think we have we have like one more step before inception i believe where then like we can now implant uh sermon ideas into your brain uh i think (laughs) where 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 does the preacher start and the pod stop who knows yeah yeah so we we got to go deeper uh, is is what what i'm what i'm thinking i I have a dreidel to to spin and we'll uh we'll say how was it right as the dreidel is starting to wobble a little bit before it uh before it may or may not fall down yeah so uh, so, side note and then we'll get into it i I was reading one thing about that movie that mentioned that it's the the proof that it's not a dream at the end Uh that's real is um the fact that whenever he's in the dream world he's wearing his wedding ring and when he's in the like real world he's Mm -hmm. not wearing a wedding ring and at the end he's not wearing his wedding ring so that's sort of like the huh Someone who's watched that movie probably way too many times and was like looking, you know, for anything to to be a clue. So this this is why people need to stick with post Sunday blues for the, for, for the real information. (laughs) Break, break, breaking news of a 10 year old move, 10 plus year old movie. (laughs) There we go. So, uh, you know, let's jump in and call it stormy Monday. Uh, Mm. So why this sermon? Why this Sunday? Yes. Well, Scott, as you know, we've been in the book of Genesis for the fall and then also restarting the book of Genesis going into this winter. And this was the first Sunday getting back in the Genesis saddle. And the part of the whole rationale behind the sermon series was here at Liberty Collingswood, we're tying it in with a represent initiative that we talk about a good bit that started this fall, a relaunch of our church into a post-Christian and post-COVID reality. And part of the idea here is that we wanted this sermon series to be a vehicle to equip people just to be able to have some frames, have some lenses to be able to sort through what is a very complicated world. I think I said at one point, we want people at Liberty Collingswood, whether they're committed Christians or exploring the faith to be discipled yet by scripture and not Twitter. 
And so when I mapped out the sermon series going into the fall into now, and, and you've seen the spreadsheet as, as, <laughs> as our, our elder elect, our, our apprentice uh, elder, just being able to, you know, one of the columns on the Google Sheet doc is for specific Bible texts. What are some hot topics, controversial topics, or things that are worth talking about given our present context to be able to, to tie them with some specific sets of verses. And this was, as we resume, it was kind of getting in at the starting at the deep end of the swimming pool again to jump <laughs> back into the, the, the Genesis sermon series. Uh, but like I mentioned in the sermon, we want to be a church that doesn't hide from difficult subjects, but embraces difficult subjects and treats them with dignity and respect. So was feeling burdened to preach a sermon about human sexuality this week. Yeah. So before we jump into to that topic, how was mm-hmm. it after the the Lent, uh, not Lenten, the uh, Advent series, and sort of you and Eric having those uh, sort of year in reviews, and also mm-hmm. looking forward uh, to sort of kind of jump right back into the sort of the heavier uh, topics of Genesis. I'm not saying that that the, <laughs> yeah. the Advent stuff wasn't heavy, but like there's a different weight uh, to sort of this represence initiative. Yeah, I I I think you're right, Scott. So this isn't any sermon series. This isn't any set of topics that I'm talking about. And truthfully, yes, the Matthew sermon series in Lent and then the couple of one-off Psalm sermons to start off the year, those are easier. They, they're, they're fun. Uh, they're, they're breezy. They're engaging to, to put together. These sermons are engaging to put together, but, but I do feel uh, it takes more energy uh, it's the equivalent of a harder workout, like after you finish where, where it does, but, but I think, but I think these topics deserve work and prayer and study and conversation. So I don't, I don't resent the fact that they, that they take more out of me, but, but they do. And yeah, like I said, again, I, I want us to be a church that can have difficult conversations about deep things, but from a place of calm and peace and love. And so really being burdened to try to model that in mm-hmm. what I was bringing to the table this week and looking ahead to, to Genesis chapter three for the next couple of months, I think we're, I think we're beginning to come to the end of, Hey, how many more difficult topics are we going to talk about <laughs> here? Just because there's not an unlimited number of them. So, so with this, in some ways we're, we're kind of nearing the, at least for now, a, a closure on when I can serve, when I conceived of the sermon series over the summer, Hey, what were some of the difficult topics I wanted to tackle? I think this is the last of them for now, but who knows? <laughs> Right. Something may come up, <laughs> yeah, uh, but it always does. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you mentioned some things you were burdened about, but maybe mm-hmm. digging a little bit deeper, peeling back the, the onion layer a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, what other things were you sort of burdened specifically with this text? Mm-hmm. I think this is a great, I mean, this is a great text. It's a great passage and it's interpretation is one of the things that I love to do with the Bible, and this, this relates to presence of the Lord a little bit too, Scott, but so much has been written about Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 that actually preaching a sermon about it feels pretty daunting because there are so many things that, that, that could be said and could be talked about. I focused it in the ways that I did, and part of the burden behind that is even for difficult subjects, 
I, I hope that people can come to see the beauty of God's design and uh, to know that the way that God has made the world and made us is not at base just a set of rules, although God does give us rules, does give us commands to obey. Uh, but our Father is a uniquely wise and loving creator and how he's built all things. And so hopefully this wasn't just a do this, don't do that sermon. Um, but there's joy in Adam saying this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Uh, so, so wanting to get across beauty uh, to our listeners too. And, and personally, I thought you did really well with that. I think um, your sort of community sandwich, as you called it, um, you <laughs> right. know, when you mentioned one of the, one of the quotes I wrote down was that, uh, you know, the pros could not contain uh, yes. what joy Adam had and um, talking about how after all these refrains of like, it was good, it was good, it was very good. Yeah. And God says like, it's not good. And mm-hmm. like, there's a, a sort of a disconnect there between so many goods and so many not goods. And, yeah, it's and a record scratch so, sort of moment. Yeah. And uh, so I think you really kind of um, set the tone at the beginning of, of that uh, there, you know? Um, yeah, that, that is true. I did, I did have the thought after the sermon, I called it community sandwich, but it technically should have been called a sexuality sandwich because you, the sandwich is what's in the middle yeah. and, and not the bread, <laughs> unless it's a, there's a new Orleans sandwich called muffalata, which is the name of the loaf of bread. But yeah, se- sexuality sandwich probably <laughs> wouldn't have been a great, great thing no. to say. To say yeah, I, I feel like there'd be a lot more unpacking of that phrase. Yeah. <laughs> and there is much unpacking. Yes. <laughs> um, so j- just to finish off with uh, calling it Storm on Monday before yeah. we enter Sun Studios, um, it was, was there God doing anything with you um, as related to the sermon this week as you're kind of prepping for it? I think... A sermon like this is always a little bit of a, of a gut check sort of message to bring, uh, because I know that there are a lot of strong feelings talking about subjects related to, to sexuality. Um, and who knows what, you know, I, I haven't opened my inbox yet. My gym at, at liberty.org, like who, who knows what the emails are going to be um, or how the sermon will have landed for for different people uh, who knows if the sermon gets out on the internet what what you know who can tune in find it on our website and bring it to social media or, or stuff like that so there, there is some trepidation but then it's also a good spiritual exercise for me uh, whether it's preaching a, about a difficult subject or not it's only my job ever as a preacher to try to faithfully interpret god's word and not trust my own interpretation, but trust the word of God to do the work that God has appointed for it. And then I just let the chips fall where they may around that. So it's a good focuser towards faithfulness for me where, Hey, if I, if I believe that the scriptures are God's word, I'm, I'm called to explain them to the best of my ability. And then the design is that I just go home have a beer, watch sports in the afternoon and let God, let God work around that. So, it, so it's not depending upon me, uh, but, but this is a, a deep breath, take a deep breath, set of, set of subjects, 
that I hope that I hope I treated seriously. And, and, and then the other thing that I'll say at this point too, Scott, well, qualifier, uh, I, I said in the sermon, and I think this is something, Scott, that you and I are on the same page with, it, it's not super helpful all the time in public communication to talk about conservative theology versus you know, liberal or progressive theology, because those terms are so loaded and, so, and they, oh, yeah. they, they, they mean 10 different things to 10 different people. And so it, it's not my goal to be a conservative church or a progressive church. My goal and my prayer is that Liberty Callings would be faithful to the scriptures. Still, if the position that I, that I articulated about human sexuality would be considered a conservative theological position, uh, there's still difference in flavors among conservative churches when it comes to human sexuality. One of the ways that you can divide the camps is, you know, there are some churches that treat human sexuality and other controversial topics uh, as a, this is where we're taking a stand, kind of like a taking a stand ethos or church, as opposed to, Hey, we're just trying to be faithful um, to, to God's word. And, I, I consider myself to be in that latter. Our regular listeners probably won't be shocked to hear that I don't consider myself to be a, hey, we got to take a stand firebrand sort of, <laughs> so, sort of preacher, just, just, just give the, the, uh, the middle finger of Jesus to the culture all the time. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but, but, I, but again, I, I hope I project, I hope that ethos carried through in the sermon where, hey, we're not, we're not trying to take a stand against anybody. And if I felt that the scriptures led in a different direction here, I'd go in a different direction here. So, so mm -hmm. we're not just trying to confirm our own biases with sermons like these. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, as I've been listening to the sermons and the podcast and sort of even before the uh, represence initiative, you've yeah. sort of always kind of talked about this third way walk and worldview mm. um, idea. TM. And so I, I think, yeah, yeah TM, uh, <laughs> I'll get your royalty check in the mail for, for saying it. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think it's good because, you know, I, I um, see Christians both on the left and the right who take either the the firebrand stance of um yeah. things you know i know um i'm not sure if, if you saw this um but I, I guess canada passed a bill uh recently bill c4 and, and we don't have to get into it but mm -hmm. um basically uh making conversion therapy um illegal and i did of, see something about that yeah yeah and, and some of the um you know pages i, I follow on facebook who are are more on that quote conservative side mm -hmm. um, have been, you know, very firebrand and, and with it. Um, whereas my friends and, and family members who are more on the, the left side of things go firebrand, you know, in, in a different way. Uh, For sure. Um, yeah. With it. It's on both so sides. Um, I, you know, like you, I, I do try to find like, Hey, let's have a nuanced discussion of it. it was, I, I think, both sides generally tend to make a monolith straw man of the other ones yeah. and not actually listen to like, Hey, what, what is the other side actually saying? And let's critique, you know, whatever side I disagree with, um, yeah. you know, for what they're actually saying and try to represent them, you know, as best I can. Yeah. And that way. Um, yeah, I think that's really good. And that, that, uh, just flame throwing against other people, could be the spirit of the age as much as anything else at this point where it's just <laughs> yeah. easier to 
straw man and throw stones all the time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that is becomes very, very easy, especially in a, a technology age where it's just Twitter, and I can right. say whatever I want on Twitter because you know it's Twitter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where where takes never die, right? <laughs> Hopefully one day. Um, Here we go. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, with uh, being in Sun Studios now, we're in the presence mm. of the Lord. Um, so this passage, I know uh, in your introduction, you uh, really kind of said, hey, verse 24, sort of our our main verse that we're going to be kind of sticking in yeah. uh, dealing with sexuality. But you focus on other verses as well. So, yeah, you know, why choose this section of verses? Why not just do a, you know, a sermon on everything before verse 24 and, you know, yep. next week only do 24 by itself, you know? Yeah. That's that, that's the, don't call it the prisoner's dilemma. It's the preacher's dilemma <laughs> right? every, every, every week. And, and just to mention too, Hall and Wolves, you should know that the retitling of presence of the Lord is, is due to the person that's hosting this podcast right now. So if you want to burn me an effigy, um, you know, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I did not hear any major pushback about getting rid of, I met her in church as, <laughs> as, a, as a section title that, that, that title seemed to be popular only with me, but to your question. So th- this seems like a, like a preachable enough, chunk and i didn't want to break up the text more than this just because we're going slow enough through the book of genesis anyway (laughs) and and i i think sometimes it can be a crutch for preachers just to keep dividing text and dividing texts and dividing text because it keeps you from having to make difficult editorial choices where you're just kind of saying well if i keep shrinking down a text size then i can say whatever i want and not have to think about think about editing and i think sermons can suffer for that reason so 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 this is this feels like enough of a rhetorical unit that it made sense to take uh, these verses together from the it's not good that the man should be alone at the beginning of the passage genesis 2 18 then to the man and his wife were both naked and and not ashamed and i i did feel a little bit so from it's not just like MCU movies, but you know, you can picture Tony Stark or somebody on the helicarrier. And so our Scott and I are, recur- are recording over zoom. So Scott, you can see what I'm doing. Uh, other listeners cannot, but you know, all those like holographic computers where you just kind of throw your hands around and <laughs> yeah. you, you get rid of that screen, get rid of that screen, f- focus this up. This is one of those texts a little bit where I did want to hit the community piece because I think at the broadest level, it is not good that the man should be alone is about human community, not specifically mm-hmm. men and women, not specifically marriage or family. But I think, I think all of those things are included, obviously, but, but 3000 foot view community. So I wanted to talk about that. And then the step two for me was I did want to talk about human sexuality because it is part of the secular creed that's on so many lawns in South Jersey, including where, where, where we live to, to be able to grapple with love is love. And so then the garden of forking paths there was, if we're going to talk love is love, I just felt like it didn't make sense to make it any smaller a part of the sermon than it, mm-hmm. than it was. It just would have felt weird to me to say, okay, we'll talk 
we'll talk three minutes about human sexuality. I'll make that a sub point of my, <laughs> right. of my second point, because it, it raises so many questions that to treat it a little bit, I think requires to treat it a lot. So one of the challenges of, of this sermon was like leaving a lot of like super interesting stuff out with, with this passage. And I'm going to get back to some of it when we get to Genesis chapter five, I think I mentioned with the, with the genealogies, but yeah. you know, the woman coming out of man, the, the whole helper idea, Eitzer in Hebrew, what does that mean? The, mm-hmm. the, the naming of the animals is, is right. kind, of, kind, kind of cool. And, and, and Scott, I, I realized that I'm talking to somebody who, who was at the cardiologist for a pet earlier today. So um, <laughs> you're, you're, you're into the naming of animals and yeah. which I guess is a, I don't know why I said that. It's not like I'm against naming of animals. All, all, all of your family pets are just cat one, cat two, <laughs> dog three, right. bird five. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not sure where I was going with that. Then, you know, just other things that I didn't talk about, but but could have, and feel free to click on any of these if if you'd like, Scott, uh, the historicity question. So it, it may have at least caught a few of our listeners here. Hey, Adam and Eve were already created in Genesis <laughs> chapter one. So there's that. How does Genesis one and two fit together? I talked about days of creation and faith and science in an earlier sermon, uh, but then it doesn't answer every question about the creation of Adam and Eve here and also the mode. And there's also a lot of like really neat theological reflection that I only glossed over at the very, very end of the sermon with, uh, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So mm-hmm. it's, it's such a rich passage. And I, I did for better, or for worse, intentionally decide to focus on some things more than others. Yeah, I know. And I do appreciate that. Like as someone who is kind of a theology nerd, I, I, I missed that, you know, yeah. You didn't do on do those other things. You know, I know there's like uh with Adam and Eve, I, I've heard and, and read about like the Lilith uh myth where you know there's this other woman Lilith who yes. becomes like an owl, I think. Yeah. Is uh, it's been a while since I, I've read that one, but um, you know, that that sort of thing, or mm-hmm. um, you know, the the whole uh in that modernist uh, mindset where it's you know the Pentateuch is like, you know, these four different documents that are sort the, of the awkwardly. JEDP hypothesis, yep, right? Yep, the JEDP. Yep. Yep. Um, and so you just kind of have like all of those things that, and, and it's one of those, they're all just fun rabbit holes that could be gone down. Yeah. Um, yeah. With, with Genesis, but uh, you know, it's can be hard. Yep. Yeah. Maybe, maybe in an alternate universe, I take 40 years to preach through through the book of Genesis some, somewhere and, and take, take a lot of fun. The, the, the longest preaching series and worst preaching series that I've ever heard of for its length, there was, and I've verified this, I've, I've mentioned in previous sermons and podcasts that I spent some time in Scotland and was with, <laughs> with the Free Church of Scotland when I was over there. There was a Scottish Free Church pastor that in the early 20th century spent 40 years in the book of Job. <laughs> it's it's just my you know just a it seems like a method acting version of of putting that book into practice where you're inflicting the suffering of the congregation that's yeah (laughs) depicted in job so yeah not that slow yeah i uh 
uh, two churches ago, one the pastor, when we were, uh, he was going to preach through Romans and his mm-hmm. opening sort of joke was that the longest sermon that he had heard of, of Romans was a guy who took like 15 years and he didn't even finish the book. He just retired <laughs> he died. and uh, <laughs> yeah, basically, and, and the first sermon, uh, was literally like verse one of chapter one, just the word Paul. Oh, and like, like that's how slow he was like going through and just like, yeah, like that's not do uh, that. <laughs> that destroys me one. And th- this is a little bit of a tangent, but, uh, real quick on that. One issue that I have with that style of preaching is it actually doesn't do justice to how language works. Like when oh, yeah. you have a conversation with Becca, you're not asking Becca to analyze word by word atomistically everything that you're saying because the whole point is that you're you're giving a coherent thought within a paragraph and so yeah when actually that is how we argue oh well (laughs) you know i I said converse (laughs) Uh, no but argument is a subset of that fair Uh, right and but but actually case in point there when when you argue and you do get down to the word nitty-gritty the the objection of the partner is you're twisting my words around by yes, exactly. by focusing too closely on some things at at, at the expense yeah. at the expense of others. So yeah, once again, preaching is cheaper than therapy. That's the bottom line, Scott. <laughs> so um, you know, uh, you know, you you talked about the the love is love secular creed, and, and yep. I really kind of liked that um, going into that angle because I do hear that, I do see that. Um, yeah everywhere and, and two things that kind of came to mind uh, for me is, is i liked how you talked about the limits of of love is love um right. there's a, a a youtuber who um she's indian american um and she's bisexual she's not a person of faith mm-hmm. and a lot of her shticks uh, her name's lily singh and a lot of her shticks is um she'll do like her talking with her indian mom and dad and she'll like dress up as her indian mom and dad and mm-hmm. the sort of thing is her mom and dad are like you know from india and so like very indian conservative and sure. uh it's her and her mom at a pride parade and you know lily is saying like love is love and love wins and all this kind of stuff yeah and then there's uh, a little girl who comes up to her and it's like well i'm in love with the robot and i'm gonna marry a robot and lily is like well you can't really marry a robot and her mom's like why not lily love is love and then uh. like Lily starts using, and Lily's, as far as I can tell, like she's very much on the left, but she's mm-hmm. like using these, like, well, it's Adam and Eve, it's not Adam and Alexa. And like, you know, all of these, like, sort of, you know, <laughs> surface level arguments against LGBT, but for against right. like falling in love with a robot. Like, and her mom's just like chastising her the entire time of like, right. why doesn't love win? Why doesn't love is love? And so, it was just like, as you were preaching that, I was thinking back to that video of just like, yeah, it, it's interesting that like love is love asterisks, but no one ever talks about there's that like asterisk there of like, when, when is love love? And when is love not love? You know? Yes. Yeah. That that's a great point. So Scott, let, let me say one thing real quick about verse 24 mm-hmm. and then, and then get back to that. So oh, okay. just, just so we don't gloss over mm-hmm. Uh, one other thing with presence of the Lord here, and and then yeah, love is love for sure. That's the context for for muddying the waters. I, mm-hmm. I I did at least want to spend a little bit of time in the sermon, oh, yeah, building a case for uh, again not because we hate people or against anybody, but 
it would just be very strange for verse 24 not to be prescriptive, um, <clears throat> where therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So uh, as it's treated in the rest of the scriptures, uh, this verse, uh, the creation of man and woman, uh, the marriage, one flesh, um, it's just really hard from an interpretive perspective to both take the scriptures seriously, but then also look at verse 24 and say, well, it's a, well, you know, a man and a man or a woman and a woman can fit just as well within, within this framework in this paradigm. And I mentioned to Genesis one and two, I got this from N.T. Wright, actually, he wrote an article about this and Genesis one and two, there are so many joining of opposites. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the dwelling of God and humanity, heavens and earth, all of these dualities that in God's plan are complete only with each other. I, I think that that underscores uh, prescriptive reading of Genesis 2.24. And, mm-hmm. and, and then finally, the, the procreative idea. Um, if, right. And I think so trying to think of how how nerdy to get here uh as 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 protestants we don't we we don't think uh we we uh so so something like natural law is something that comes from the roman catholic tradition more so um more so than 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 protestant tradition but procreation is especially in catholic theology uh, one of the main drivers of the catholic view of sexuality which which is similar to mine, uh, because the, or there's an argument from procreative biology for a male-female pairing uh, to, to be normative. Um, again, we're not trying to shame, you know, right, right. gay couples <laughs> by, by, by saying that. We're not trying to guilt and shame uh, husbands and wives that are infertile. But, it, mm-hmm. but I think if be fruitful and multiply, not only Genesis 1 and 2, but for the rest of Genesis, like the covenant with Abraham and yeah. so on, uh, I think there's something is, I think there's something to this natural law ish idea of the male female u- union being uniquely procreative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and completely agree with that. And I think another thing with with verse twenty four um, that kind of stuck with me as I've listened and read um, to people who have have been on both sides of this debate is the yeah. fact that. Um, you know, Jesus repeats this, like, right. you know, and, and if Jesus is God, which I believe he is, like, he is very much like affirming this in this, you know, by repeating it in this statement. Yeah. And um, there was one person I, I, I was listening to, and I've read it in, in different forms, um, but, you know, who said if Jesus was, was, you know, against sort of this verse and using it in this way or pro LGBT, you know, if he is truly God, he would have known that there were people suffering, um, you know, under, under the hands of, you know, the sort of Jewish authorities at the time Mm -hmm. um, for their sexuality. And the fact that he said nothing to them, or he, you know, said like, Hey, like God's actually for this. Like, I know you're suffering. I know that kind of, paint like paints a question mark for me a little bit like if you know if if this is true like you know and and if he's god he knew that there was probably going to be people that were same-sex attracted or or dealt with you know temptation of this form or another and the fact that he's silent on it 
but also reaffirms, you know, verse 24 is kind of, uh, uh, as you said, uh, you know, at the end, mm-hmm. um, there's this consistency in scripture from Genesis to Revelation about sexual ethics. And Jesus yeah. sort of kind of fits into that um, continuality of, of that consistency. Yeah, for, for sure. And I think it was an N.T. Wright podcast that I was listening to uh, about sexuality. Uh, there's an Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast, mm-hmm. which is one of the ideas, uh, Scott, behind the curtain uh, that we're thinking about doing. Pat and I, uh, Ooh, that'd be fun. like like an Ask Jim Anything kind of kind of podcast. Uh, I'm I'm intrigued and nervous at the same time. Uh, but but N.T. Wright, who who you know had a you know high class British education that included a lot of Catholics. He, he said, Hey, just go back and read writers of antiquity. And Mm -hmm. like, you'll be shocked at how polysexual they they are. So, so so they, there was, Jesus knew that there was a multiplicity of sexual practice Mm -hmm. uh, as, as any first century Jewish person would have been. And I, I do feel like there is some straw manning arguments from uh, Christian progressives, or you'll just hear from like secular Joe or Sally, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, well, Jesus wouldn't have any, wouldn't have had any issue with, with, with love is love. Like, like, Mm -hmm. because, because he was all about, he was all about love. And, you know, maybe you can get something from Leviticus, or maybe you can get something from Paul. Nobody likes Paul about a more, a more circumscribed human sexuality, but Jesus would have been all for it. I don't think that bears, that bears scrutiny, or I don't think that holds up when you go back and examine Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, both, both from what he explicitly said and affirmed, like you mentioned, Scott, and, and then also Jesus, Jesus came to liberate uh, Luke chapter four, when he fulfilled, when he rolls up the scroll of Isaiah and says, today, the scripture has been fulfilled and you're hearing. So sight to the blind freedom of captives liberation was, was such a huge part and should be continuing a huge part of, of Jesus ministry. He had every opportunity. If he, if he wanted to add sexual liberation to that, to that list, I, I think that he, I think that he would have. So somebody could come back in that point and say, well, it's a little bit of an argument from silence, which, mm-hmm. which it is, but then you also have Jesus at a couple different points quoting Genesis 2.24. So it's not completely an argument of silence from silence at the same time. Yeah. And I sort of see like usually two things with it when someone is on sort of the more, you know, quote unquote progressive side yeah. is almost like a, a neo-Marcionism of like, well, the old Testament versus right. new Testament. Yeah. Um, but for me that, you know, Jesus was God in the, you know, new Testament, uh, or in the old Testament as well. Right. Um, and, and the other thing I, I see too, is the, um, or the ar- other argument. Or can, I, it can, it, it, why don't you explain, uh, neo oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, <laughs> in Marcion- case we have a listener or two that doesn't know what neo, neo Marcionism is. <laughs> so it sounds like Marxism. No, 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 not that. Are, so are uh, you a communist? <laughs> I have right. now no never been a member of the Communist Party. So Marcion was a uh, sen- second century uh, Gnostic um, mm-hmm. when Gnosticism, for those who don't know, is sort of this um, 
that there's a lot of layers to Gnosticism, but the shorthand of it is there's this sort of this dualism of the spiritual is good, but the material is evil. Yep. Um, and so uh, Marcion, what he did with his Gnosticism is um, basically just kind of drew a line in the sand between the Old and the New Testament. Um, mm-hmm. And so the Old Testament God was an evil God and the New Testament God was sort of good and loving God. That's a, a sort of a, a oversimplification of, yeah, of Marcionism. Yeah. Um, and Neo-Marcionism is, is, I'm sure someone else has said it, but I just thought of it now um, in sort of like a modern take of the, of the Marcion. Um, you do get so microwaved I'm, Marcionism with a lot of progressive Christian mm-hmm. hermeneutics where, yeah, it's like, the, the heart of the new Testament, we, we love, but we can just get rid of the angry God of the old Testament sort of thing. Yeah. And, and like, I look at that and, you know, sometimes I look at Jesus and like the throwing of the money, you know, the tables of money lenders, the, the woes that he gives to the Pharisees and, and yep. you know, or even like revelation and just like, okay. You know, and it's, yeah. it's Jesus is more complex. And I think the, biblical characters are more complex than the two-dimensional people that they're sometimes made to be for theological or or political reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. And just briefly to engage with that, Scott, Mm -hmm. another kind of from the more progressive side of things you'll hear, and, and hopefully as our own listeners are continuing to piece together and work through for themselves where they are in some of these things mm-hmm. you, you'll hear an argument that says well yeah leviticus you know talks about how a man shouldn't sleep with a man but then also it talks about how you should stone disobedient children you don't stone disobedient children do you therefore <laughs> we should you know get rid of all of all of leviticus like th- those sorts of arguments um they they frustrate me because they're or people feel passionately about these subjects, so I get it. But at the level of argument, it's lazy because there's been millennia of Christian reflection about the relationship of the Old Testament to the New Testament. Uh, like there, there are thousands upon thousands of pages, not, a, not about human sexuality specific or including that. But, you know, mm-hmm. what do you do with Old Testament law? is 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 not a question that like catches me off guard like oh right, wait, right. wait a second i've never thought like yeah, yeah uh, i'll, I'll hear i'll hear the uh shellfish or the uh clothing right. mis- mixed fabrics i hear that one uh often. right yeah same thing um you know and, and sort of like when i'm when i when i need to pray more and i i should shouldn't it like retort back right away like my first thought is um well like, you know, love your neighbor as yourself is from Leviticus. I guess we can throw that out too. Like, yeah, fair enough. And again, like usually I have to pray before I just say that because that's like sarcasm, my, you know, Italian sarcasm and hardheadedness coming through. Um, Right. Right. But that's like sort of my first response is like, I want to say, but you know, um, it it, it becomes very complicated of like, okay, well then what do we do with the, like, love your neighbor as yourself? Like, because that Jesus is quoting from Leviticus uh, when he, when he tells the, the people to do that. Um, yeah, it, it, I always get frustrated with that that sort of argument for that very reason. Yeah, and and so let's let let's model as a church community mm-hmm. conversations where we're not doing those strong man, straw man arguments, all, neither straw nor strong man arguments. Right, right. But instead, li- listening patiently, 
uh, I, I had a seminary professor, uh, Sinclair Ferguson. I think you've, you've oh, read yeah. uh, Ferguson. Mm-hmm. He, he said that um, when you're disagreeing with somebody, you should be able to make your opponent's argument as well as or better than they can. And you always mm-hmm. want somebody that you're disagreeing with even if they disagree to say, Hey, you're, you're fairly representing my view and my, and in my position, but so often that just doesn't happen. Yeah. And, and I think that's something I've tried to model. Um, you know, I think you as do. you know, I, I like studying apologetics and other faith yeah. systems and, you know, I, I have friends who are Mormon and I'll go to them and say like, Hey, like, am I accurately representing your position by like arguing this? And, and sometimes they'll disagree with the conclusions I come with because mm-hmm. I'm, you know, while I'm discussing it, I'm saying like, Hey, this is sort of a logical conclusion of this. And this is problematic, yeah. but like, you know, they'll say like, okay, yeah. For like in general, you know, there might be some nuances here and there that I, I don't get, but you know, it's something, you know, I'm not infallible. I still mess up, but yeah, it's something that we should all strive for and for our listeners to, to strive for on other side of the conversation, you know, try to yeah. understand what the other side is saying. Cause that's not really our 21st century is, is understanding what the other side is saying. Yeah part of a third way walking worldview to do it differently. Exactly. TM. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so, um, to, you know, bringing the, the storyline back to the love is love. Uh, yeah. One thing that I liked, um, in your discussion is sort of the love is love is not live in the live. Um, can you kind of tease that out a little bit more and sort of your, your thoughts behind that? Yes. So, and I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to not answer your questions when, when, when you ask them, but, but to, to go back to, to what you said earlier, Scott, too, about uh, love is love as, as a slogan uh, first. And, you know, this, it, it's all about love is love. So it, 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 it relates. I hope at that point of the sermon, I didn't want to come across as giving a straw man argument because I think, you know, our nuanced our more nuanced friends who have those signs, not necessarily everybody, but many people who have those signs in their yard would, would allow, of course, it's just a slogan. And yes, it, it, it's more, it's more complex than that. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, I think there's some validity and kind of pressing against that a little bit. Even people that say love is love. There's, there's still, there's still limits on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so love is love can mean this, but it should not mean this. So a a completely unfettered, unlimited sexual expression to this day is something that very few people are advocating for. So, Mm -hmm. so even people that would be a lot more progressive than me about sexuality, we're still agreeing on the fact that there, there need to be, there need to be boundaries. And I, I do feel like if that's a suppressed premise on the part of our love is love friends. I would love that to be brought up to the surface a little bit. So we're not, the, the discussion is not boundaries versus no boundaries. The discussion is what boundaries. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then the love is love being different from, from, from live and let live. Yeah. This gets back to the idea and I, I heard from, I heard from Emily that she was getting some subtweets from, from my kids in the pew when, when I was talking about what, what does and doesn't go on at the high school. So, so may, maybe I, I overspoke at that 
point in some ways. But I think it's fair to say, at least as I engage with adults and cultural streams right now, uh, the phrase that I've heard, I think first from Mark Sayers, the, the Australian pastor, uh, sexual Western sexual empire or Western mm -hmm. sexual hegemony, where it's not live and let live. It's there. There are right and wrong answers to to these questions. So so don't don't masquerade as saying, "Hey, we're happy for everybody to make their own decisions about human sexuality." I just don't. I just don't feel like it's like that's true. And and I I mentioned. John Mark Comer, a pastor in Oregon, about how the context around sexual assumptions radically shifted from his high school experience to today. In some ways, I was similar to that. But another layer specifically for me, Scott, was growing up in New Orleans. New Orleans was all, has always been polysexual in ways that pretty much nowhere else in, in America has, has, has ever been. And at least from my perspective, I guess people could come back and progressive could push back at this point and say, well, you know, Jim, it actually was a lot more repressive and oppressive of sexual minorities than, than you, than you apprehended as a straight white male, mm -hmm. but at least with those qualifiers, New Orleans for centuries has been a live and let live sort of place, at least until recently when it comes to sexuality, which I'm actually comfortable with. to this day. Well, it's changing now. Uh, in, in New Orleans, but, but I think a live and let live vibe in terms of, you know, letting the world do its thing. I'm okay with that. Um, let, let the church be the church. Let, let the church be its own kind of sexual minority. Uh, but we've shifted from live and let live to, I, I think a much less tolerant place when it, when it comes to how we comport sexually. Yeah. What, what's your take on that? Yeah, so um, one thing, you know, talking about the world versus the church, um, there's a passage in, I, don't know, I think it's either first or second Corinthians, where Paul says, like, something to the effect of, like, why am I, like, why would I judge the world on, like, the Christian standards? Um, right, yep. And, and that one, like, kind of, you know, I've read through Corinthians, like, multiple times, and there was just one time I read that, and I was like, huh, like, that's, like, and, and so I had to sort of, like, retrain my thinking more on and, and reflect more on like okay what does it mean for to like let the world be the world and the church be the church and mm -hmm. in these sort of questions of yeah. you know gender identity sexual identity sexual orientation sort of thing so i, I definitely sort of uh, agree with you on there um and, and with the you know with the sort of live and let live mm -hmm. idea yeah and 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 what about you know scott you've you've been in the academy longer and more recently than I have. Whether academy, various work environments, or just, you know, as, as somebody who's not a pastor and has been in circles <laughs> that I haven't been, like, do you, do you think that I'm overstating when I talk about something like a Western sexual empire or, or, or hegemony? How, do, how does that register with you? Yeah, so uh, I would definitely agree. Um, and, you know, history, for those who don't know, history is my background. Um, and as one of my professors said, like the holy trinity of history is race, gender, and sexuality. Um, huh. And so, you know, you do have this sort of sexual empire. Uh, one of the, the sort of 
not mainstream, but like one thing that's very popular right now is like outing historical figures that, you know, um, like Abraham Lincoln had uh, when he was in this cabin, he had a roommate and they hung out a lot. And, you know, they talked about how like close they were. So like, right, right, right. Had a, you know, sort of like um, I've seen it happen with Old Testament characters like David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan. Yep. Uh, Naomi and Ruth is the one I've also heard, and that that's sort of an interesting oh, one to me. Um, I haven't heard that one. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, I've heard that one um, before, and so you know you have that. But I think um, there is a like, you know, this is sort of the assumed uh, truth of, mm-hmm. of, of sexuality. Um, you know, when we were doing readings on these things, we read about, you know, the benefits of, of Latinx, um, yeah. you know, as uh, something I know, gender identity, sexual orientation, a little bit different, but, um, you know, that was sort of kind of like an assumed truth of like, that is good, that is right to use, mm-hmm. um, you know, but then on the other side of things, um, rec- a few, maybe a few years ago, I don't remember, a study came out. Um, and it was done by like a, a progressive person and progressive organization that said only 3% of uh, people who, of Hispanic background are okay with Latinx and 40% are against it. Huh. Um, and, you know, so, you know, the, the Hispanic community, which the term is for mm-hmm. is saying like, either we don't care about it or like we're against this. Um, but then the Academy is like, no, this has to be like a thing. Um, yeah. and so, um, yeah, sexuality, like, you know, if, if I spoke about my, you know, Christian beliefs uh, on these issues, um, there, there are a couple of people like in my class that I could have had, um, nuanced discussions and mm-hmm. had um, conversations about it. And, and in fact, I've, I did have some conversations, uh, but I know there are certain people in my class that was like, okay, I'm not going to bring this up because I don't want to deal with this right now. Um, you yeah. know? And, and so I definitely think it is, uh, you know, th- there's uh, been a shift, I think in academia where like, if you want to, you know, be published you know it's writing on the the holy trinity so to speak of of academia um and you see this sort of everywhere yeah yeah and i think that is an as i understand it an achilles heel maybe of Mm. of a lot of thought about sexuality in our current cultural moment and i haven't i'm sure there's reflection on this from from all all perspectives on all sides sides of the why of, of of the aisles but this this current sexual hegemony it's really white and it's really western mm-hmm. and yeah. uh the which which to me gives me some pause before just assuming that that this is going to be what the world is for all of time that the march mm-hmm. of history is definitely going going in this direction because I think you're seeing pushback from other parts of the world about this export of sexual values that just doesn't fit. Uh, I think a lot of different, a lot of different cultures. So I think it's more of an open question as to where all of this is going to go. than I sometimes hear from the sexual empire itself here in the West right now. Yeah. Yeah. A, a few years ago, did you see what happened between the American Methodist church and the African Methodist church? Oh Yeah. 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 So, so, um, 
for those of you who don't know, this was a few years back, and it was just it was fascinating to read uh, the the dialogue back and forth. So, mm-hmm. uh, the United Methodist Church has been uh, recently op- more open and affirming, and the in the United States and the African Methodist Church uh, basically said like, hey, like as we read the Bible, like we're gonna not be open and affirming, and you sort of see this like from people who are, who are more progressive, this paternalism and sort of racism of like, no, it, our way is correct and your way is wrong. And yeah. I, I remember at one point, the American Methodist church was like, we'll stop funding you if you do this. And the African-American church, the, the African Methodist church uh, was like, yeah, like go for it. Like we can fund ourselves. Like we don't need, right. the, we don't need the white man uh, to like yeah. fund us. Right. It, it was just like, it was just this fascinating um, back and forth to like read through the transcripts of, mm-hmm. of these these debates that occurred. Yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that one or or anything like that. No, not not particularly, but but I think you're I think I think you're spot on. And and then the other the other aspect of love is love that comes to mind for me to, for me to mention right now, Scott is. I, I do think that there will be a reckon that, that there could come a reckoning where there is a recognition that that hey some more boundaries here might might not be the worst the the worst thing in the world because if if the slogan is hey we're not going to say no to anybody doing anything mm-hmm. then then you are going to get from my perspective just more and more out there sexual practice that's going to rub even people that are more progressive than I am the, the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I think, I, th- I think things can get a lot, things might get a lot more weird, which could create its own momentum in, in the other direction. And I said in the sermon about transgender identification in, in, in the fall, there could be some kind of body erasure coming or like a Mm -hmm. technologized self where we're, 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 we're losing our humanity in the process of more and more sexual liberation. Yeah. I, I, you know, definitely see that. And and just with that, like on a slightly related note, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but sort of the infighting between the LG, the B and the T for sure. Um, Yeah. And and that's sort of fascinating to watch because as a community, they want to, you know, be inclusive and and celebrate one another, but then there's this infighting of, well, like, you know, if, if you're T, but you don't support this, then you're against me. Or if you're LG, but you don't do this action, then you are transphobic. And just, just watching that, those, dialogues and listening to those dialogues are sort of interesting to see like that there's sort of this like cognitive dissonance between you know wanting to be open and affirming of everyone but still like hey we still need to work out all of our own like ideas and paradigms before we can like move forward in certain ways yeah i think I think for better or for worse that that plane continues to be built in the air mm-hmm. and there there's a lot of reasoning as it relates to the extramural conversations there, not the intramural, where there's just a lot of, well, the enemy of my enemy is my friend reasoning. Mm -hmm. Um, But but there's a lot less consensus 
So love is love is just one, one line on that sign. But if you zoom in more, there's tons of disagreements within, within those scopes. And I don't know, I, two other related, related issues. Uh, I, I, or one A and one B I mentioned in the sermon, and I also talked about this in the, in the one on transgender identification. I think what a lot of people don't realize is that the way that we're constructing our personhood is changing rapidly mm-hmm. and the personhood conversation is one of those like submerged principles that probably doesn't get, doesn't get talked about enough, no matter where you are on the, you know, specific, you know, takes on LGBT stuff. Uh, even if you're, you know, I think what something that I regret across the board is that there is a redefinition of what it means to be a person centrally along sexual lines, which is just not an inaccurate representation of human personhood. Number one and number two is really new in the history of the world. So there is a, Hey, let's, uh, let's have our eyes wide open about even how we're thinking and talking about these issues. Yeah. Like, I I mean, yeah, I, I mentioned how, you know, there's in the historical field, like this whole, like outing people of the past, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I was talking to, to Beck about this and sort of, you know, we could do a whole other podcast on postmodernism and what it is and isn't, but it were, sure. you know, I, I would argue, what you know, until Derrida and Foucault came out, you know, uh, with, with sort of the, this postmodernist paradigm, you know, in the, the fifties and before you're not going to have this sort of identity um construction that you do you know after the historians call it the cultural shift occurs yep. in yep. the 70s um you just don't have that you have a very um materialistic uh view of the world um mm-hmm. sort of uh to use like the the historical marxist uh language um you know and then this shift into cultural and identical identity as the the main focus of of the worldview. Yeah. And I think that that's a formally unstable construction of personhood. I, th- mm-hmm. I think materially unstable because of what we're putting into it, but even formally, I think we're, we're setting people up to be incredibly fragile. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think there's a, like that the buffer for me is no, I, I don't want to steamroll people. I don't want, or the, I don't want to not acknowledge hurts and pains and suffering, but I think there's still a middle ground where we should avoid constructing our sense of identity in such a way that it can be knocked down so incredibly easily. And I think mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's room for the gospel to come into play here where no matter how you identify otherwise, Jesus gives you a more durable identity than what you're able to construct from the ground up, starting with your feelings, mm-hmm. where, you, where you're constantly only one comment away from being destroyed by somebody else. Um, yeah. there's, there, 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 there's greater security that, humans can, that human beings can live with in Jesus. Mm-hmm. I completely agree uh, with you there. Um, one thing, as you're talking about, you know, going back to the, the secular creed, mm-hmm. 
um, and, and the looking at you know different parts of the creed it is discussion of love is love, but then science is real. And uh, talking in the sermon about how like the science isn't really fitting the narrative, um, talking hmm. about porn and polyamory, um, you know, not being healthy in all the studies saying it not being healthy, but yeah. something you can't really talk about because love is love. Um, do you want to tease that out a little bit? Anything else you want to say on sort of how those two might contradict, um, if you will? <laughs> that, yeah, that, so I... That, yeah, that's an interesting juxtaposition. I I hadn't thought of it in that way. I I would just want to say, want to want to observe briefly here that what's what we often consider to be clear and obvious is not clear and obvious, and a lot of things that seem settled are actually agenda driven and threaded through with narratives that are driving that that are driving the project. And I. Pornography, you know, the, the subject of the sermon was not pornography. I've, I've preached about porn at a couple different points. I think that's actually a really good text test case for a lot of broader assumptions about sexuality and sexual comportment in, in our culture, because there's such a divide where we've, we've backed ourselves into a corner. Uh, you know, we, culturally speaking, we don't want to say that porn is bad. Uh, we want and or even like feminism wrestling with mm-hmm. with, with with pornography with the different ways of, of feminism trying to trying to get to a place where they're saying hey pornography is actually great for great for women <laughs> and, right. and, and and women's women's liberation uh when when i think it, it just is deeply counterintuitive at the same time so yeah backed into the corner where people will say, we don't want to, like, we can't say that pornography is bad and that people shouldn't use it. But then at the same time, we hate it when our partners use it. And, mm-hmm. and we, we, we see a decrease in sexual functioning across the board in our society in large part because of porn. We see pornography hurting human community uh, when when people are less fully formed human beings based on the amount of, and I, I don't want to guilt or shame people that are addicted to pornography. That's, that's a real thing. And my own record's not clean when it comes to pornography too. So I don't want to sound like I'm high and mighty about this, uh, but it's so detrimental, but we don't have the tools to be able to say that right now. Yeah. And, and that's something I think it's a little bit sad that, that, you know, what we're in this weird place um it's weird yeah um, yeah so it's 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 a lot of questions of you know get sort of at the very uh, end of your sermon you, you talk about not being the moral majority but the humble minority and i think there's uh-huh. you know um you know and i don't think it's in a question that can be answered in in, in one podcast but just like given that this is the world we live in, like, how do we become that humble minority? Um, and sort of as Liberty says to live, speak and serve as the very yeah. presence of Jesus and Collingswood and the surrounding boroughs. Oh, yes. Uh, did, I think I cut out in real time. Did I read the letter to Diognetus on, you on didn't Sunday? Know. Okay. So, so that's probably a second century apologetic work commending Christianity in the Greco-Roman world, 
Uh, I think for time, I, I just cut it out. Uh, but but here's here's Christianity being portrayed as a as a humble minority. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. They marry, as do all others. They beget children, but but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. I love that line. Uh, Christians have a common table. So there's hospitality, there's generosity, uh, but, but there's sexual fidelity, not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things, yet abound in all. They are dishonored, yet in their very dishonor are glorified. To me, that's a... I, I, I would love it if our Christian communities could could model some of those qualities right there. So I, mm-hmm. I, I had a quote for that question. <laughs> you, you knew it was coming. There we go. Uh, to, yeah, to the listeners, I did not preface, uh, prep him for that question at love all. It. This was, uh... Oh, man. That was, that was a softball right there. <laughs> was, I, I appreciate the slow pitched. And one, uh, two other quick things that I have for Mudding the Water, Scott, and, and, then, yeah. and then what else you have. I, I did towards the end of the sermon want to make sure that I got to talking about how everybody, even those along the LGBT spectrum, were all called and loved, right? Mm-hmm. I, I guess I, I said it the other way, we're loved and called. And I do, I do think that conservative churches on sexuality can fail to articulate the loved part. Um, and I am aware of, you know, suicide rates among uh, gay people and who grew up in church. And I mean, there, there are some truly horrible things that Christians have done to people that don't, uh, that, that aren't heterosexual and, and, and cisgendered. And, and I think there is deep mandate for the church to articulate God's love and the image of God being shared by all people and not just, not just some people, but then balancing that with being called We're we're called to live in alignment with, with what God has revealed. So, but I wanted to make sure that I got to the loved part mm-hmm. and, and then also, you know, I'll see what my inbox has to say, <laughs> right. uh, but I did want to mention in the sermon too, that I could be wrong about this. Like, I think I am, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty deeply convicted. I think I said yesterday in the sermon enough to preach a whole sermon about this and to position our church in such a way that it's, it's being countercultural and it would just in some ways be easier just to go with the cultural flow on this. So I'm not, uh, this is a, this is in some ways a tougher road for us to be on. Um, but I'm convicted enough that I think this is where the scriptures are, but that's not to say that I'm a, I'm a hundred percent sure that I'm, that I'm correct. <laughs> and, and so I think, I think, you know, conviction and humility are things that should go together and, and, and not be separated. I, I wonder if people would have felt that I gave too much ground there, but it's, it's just the truth. I could, I could be wrong. So I, I wanted to communicate that clearly. You know, uh, and so just kind of two things on that. So one, um, you know, I, I think at least from what I'm here, what I've been hearing in the last few years is um, sort of the, if you want to use the word conservative for lack of a better, yeah. better term, conservative, uh, Christian church 
is starting to uh, create ca- different categories of individuals who are struggling with same-sex attraction, but want to honor the scriptures yep. and those who are open and affirming. And I mm-hmm. think, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like from the reading and listening I've done that historically that hasn't been the case. It's, it's one, you know, that that's one and the same. Yeah. But now there's sort of like this, okay, well, you know, you're not open and affirming. Yes. You have these struggles. Um, this is lust and any sort of lust is sin. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and so whether you're lusting after someone of the same sex or someone of a different sex, um, you know, will stand with you. Um, I, I still think more conversations and, and more nuances need to be discussed on, on those sort of categories yeah. um, and more people recognizing those two categories. But I, I do see that as being a positive uh, that the church is, is doing yeah. there. Yeah. And, and I, I think from the sermon in October, it applies here too, where I think we still need to build out our pastoral toolbox or our mm-hmm. discipleship toolbox and our pastoral toolbox. Like, I, I don't want to be in the place where Liberty Collingswood, you know, we have say, say somebody same sex attracted. Uh, can I have help with this? Like, I don't want functionally our answer to be no. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, as in like, well, I, yeah, it just sounds really hard, which we could help you, but I, I really don't, don't know what to do or to say. And we're actually, you know, same sex attraction makes us uncomfortable and we, or I'm not, it, it doesn't make me uncomfortable, but, but I don't want to give that impression. Like right, just, right. just saying like, Hey, it, it would just be simpler for you not to be here. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, that's, that's horrible. And so, so I think, I think it's true that the church, that churches that take the historic position on human sexuality have, have been negligent in building out pastoral toolkits and, mm-hmm. and resources and just, just a full, full, deeply scriptural theology uh, and application for, for helping people in, in all these various circumstances. So I, I think we're doing a disservice to people to have this position, but then have no pastoral pathways and tools at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, completely agree with you there, um, and that's something not only us but the church, you know, yeah, capital C church in general, yep. needs to be better at. Um, the last thing that I found fascinating myself, I don't know if any of our listeners listeners will, um, <laughs> is your discussion of uh, scholars um, recently saying, you know, the love of love, love is love paradigm is not found in scripture. Um, yeah. And, and this is where there's a difference between uh, my wife and I. So we did a few years ago, like a spiritual gifts uh, test where mm-hmm. like, what spiritual gifts you have is ironic. All of her, all of her bottom and all of her top were like the exact opposite of mine. Nice. Um, and so, and so like hers are all like the caring mercy. Mine are like the more academic, like teaching yeah. uh, yep. things. Um, and I, that plays out in our, our, you know, interaction, like, so for, for her and LGBT issues, like she is very much like boots on the ground. Like, you know, she has a lot of friends who are sort yeah. of in that and loving on them. Whereas I'm like, okay, what are the academics saying? Like, what is, yeah. what is the, what is the university press publishing about? Right, like, right, this? right, right. Yeah. Um, and so that was just kind of an interesting uh, conversation to me. And uh, I'm not sure if you are familiar with John Shelby Spong. 
um, oh yeah at all yeah so he's a, a he was an episcopalian um scholar who recently passed yeah and, and i've listened to him a couple of times and he would be very much on that like modernist uh sort of mentality um and it was just interesting to hear him one time um sort of say uh you know the the way to see paul i mean the way to read paul is to read paul as a gay man struggling through his sin yep um and i've even heard others again who take that like neo marcian like well you know uh, scholarly we can't look at the old testament at all like mm-hmm. to, we can only look at the new testament so th- that was just something interesting to me i don't know if there's anything you want to say about that I, I might be boring our listeners by talking about scholars but you know yeah that briefly so that paul was gay mm-hmm. is is an argument that that's arisen over from the second half of the 20th century through through today and and spong was one of the at the popular level uh, largest pro- proponents of that i consider that i consider that argument to be a red herring um mm-hmm. so uh, personally i don't think there's enough you know written evidence to be able to to be able to say <laughs> was 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 paul was paul gay or not but my concern with that argument is that even if he was to me, that doesn't change what he wrote. Um, so, so, so I think there, there are revisionist arguments baked into the argument on the surface there that, that, that I think are unhelpful. Um, so whether, whether, you know, whoever Paul was attracted to, he's somebody inspired by God and has reflected deeply upon deeply upon the, the scriptures. So yeah, bottom line. And I realize that these are deep waters for, 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 for people. I'm, I'm just kind of like, so what if he was like, that doesn't, that doesn't radically change, change what he wrote, but, but yeah, that's, that's, that's another one of the arguments that are out there. And, you know, you mentioned David and Jonathan, there's a lot of, well, it, it's, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> and for me, just the last thing I'll say on, on that, and we can move on to, to bar band cover tunes is yeah. um, we all like, we all read the Bible with our own presuppositions and, and mm-hmm. no one comes to the Bible without any preconceived notion notions about the text. And, and yeah. we should be drawing our presuppositions from, from the scriptures. But for me, something like, Oh, like you have to read Paul as he was a gay man. I think that or, or anything like that it is sort of superimposing random presuppositions on yep. the scripture that like, you know, weren't there. Like, you know, like yeah. the, 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 the people in Corinth, like, you know, weren't the elders in Corinth weren't saying like, okay, guys, remember Paul's writing, this is a gay man. So we need to read it like that. Like we need to yeah. sort of read it as, as it was written to the audience. It was written to um, sort of thing. Yeah. I just, <laughs> i've i've restarted listening to, there's a from yale university there's they have they have courses online and so i've started mm-hmm. listening to their literary theory mm-hmm. course I, I listened to it a few years ago I'm, I'm going back to it again uh so nerd i'm busted mm-hmm. <laughs> when i want to go running it's some of the stuff that i listen to the i that that sort of reading is very much you know of of this moment or of the past few decades in terms of literary theory and, you know, right, decentering yeah. of the author and mm-hmm. all, all that sort of thing. I, I would come back and say, I think there's an, I think that 
loving our neighbor as ourself, I think gives a fundamentally different perspective on how to read somebody than, than, than something, uh, than, than giving Paul, Paul a reading like that. Um, so yeah, I think, I think we're, we're losing the ability to, I think we should give charitable judgments when we, when we read people. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, more recent ways to read that I think fail to do that in some pretty shocking, <laughs> pretty <Yeah>. shocking ways. <laughs> right. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's so, all, I'm, all i'm gonna say about that <laughs> so uh you know with that the 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 main band's off the stage and now the bar band covers uh, that's right. are, are coming on oh, so I like it. Uh, so <laughs> let so, her hair yeah. down a little bit so so i i try to write down all the references uh and i think we had more uh highbrow and lowbrow uh mm. so we had, we had a good mix of, of middlebrow let's see um <laughs> You know, uh, successfully middle brow. That's what we're trying to be. You know, you, you we already talked about uh, Comer a little bit on the highbrow side. Uh, you know, we had Vivian Gordon. There was the Nietzsche scholar you mentioned, and yep. you talked about the article in the Atlantic Magazine uh, on the more lowbrow uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, uh, one of I had a professor um, of of who taught a lot of middle age uh middle medieval uh history and she yeah. would actually show monty python in the holy grail because she's like it's probably the most accurate uh really movie of like middle age like huh, that's the, hilarious the middle age science of like it's a duck and like the whole yeah like yeah all of that um she was she's also a classicist um so her and her husband would uh show um monty python's life of brian the scene where like they have to like correct the the graffiti of the, yeah. uh, of the latin graffiti and they right. would, like pause it and say like okay now fix the graffiti uh, that yeah. monty python did um so the holy grail uh, you mentioned the hoffman uh you know uh, david hasselhoff broke briefly. the hoff the hoffmeister yeah the hoff, yeah, the hoff himself <laughs> and uh charlie brown um it's got great. a reference which uh when you sang uh, the the Christmas time, it reminded me of the the really old video of you walking. Oh, uh, that's right. That was Spencer, oh, and, so and that many layers of that again. callback. <laughs> <laughs> are 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 those videos still on our Facebook page, or have they, they been? Are, they are still on the Facebook. page. Okay, <laughs> Helen Wolves. If if you want to find some really old videos at this point of early propaganda for Liberty College, would you'll you'll see a scene where. John Travis is singing the song off camera as I walk slump shouldered through the Patco parking lot. <laughs> it's, it's a great video. Uh, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, Martin Scorsese or all these do. directors, right? And, but no one talks about Jim Anger <laughs> <laughs> until now. Oh, and, and one, one, one connection. So back to Hasselhoff, <laughs> we're talking about, cheeseburgers emily and i last week i i I probably shouldn't recommend that anybody look this up but but if you want to see a a funny video that probably you shouldn't see there's have have you seen the or and and you can plead the fifth on this the the david hasselhoff cheeseburger video I have not, but I might be Googling that one. So we're we're done here. He's he's just completely blotto drug being filmed making his way through a massive cheeseburger and 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 none of what i just said is like a metaphor for something else that's literally what's happening in the so that's going to be on the google uh thanks thanks internet 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, to, to, to skip down real quick to Encore before we go back, because uh, yep. you, you mentioned burgers, so I, I'm cheating yeah. here a little bit. Yep. Um, getting a breakfast burger with the bacon, egg, and ch- bacon, egg, and cheese on it yeah. changed my life. Becca introduced me to it. And you really, get, you get it like over medium. Okay. Um, and, and it's pretty good, but, but it's gotta be the full breakfast burger. It's gotta be like the, the bacon, the egg and the cheese. Um, do, you, do you, do you have it for breakfast or, or you can uh, have it anytime? You can have it anytime. You just okay. like, I, I'm so I, I'm not the most physically fit person, but I'm not so much a slob that I'm eating burgers, fries for like burgers breakfast, for breakfast. like, like 7am. <laughs> like I will have, like, it'll be like a lunch thing. Oh, you gotta but, eat. <laughs> You got a carbo load, buddy. Come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for, for sitting in my for sitting in my desk. Um, right. you know. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, maybe nice. I I I may just to say that I've done it. Have a burger with an egg, a breakfast burger, and I'll I'll come back and report. Okay. But I, but I am like to me, Scott. I'm a rare burger guy. So okay. hearing hearing about the. Did you say medium well? No, no, it was uh, over medium. The oh, the egg. The egg should be over medium. Okay, yeah. The egg should be like where it's just runny enough. Over right. You medium. don't you don't want too much of one or the other. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. So. Mm-hmm, okay. Yeah. Duly this noted. Is, this is the theological hill to die on, though. So. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm intrigued. I respect you. So I'll 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 take that recommendation seriously. Okay. So so it is pretty good. Uh, some diners do it better than others. Um, mm. so, some places do it better than others. I've had, I have had not so good ones, and but okay. I've also had very good ones. So, huh? Uh, what What's your favorite burger locally? Uh, oh gosh, um, does it have to be like a hamburger, or can it be like a chicken type burger? Uh, 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 how are we defining burger? Uh, uh, love is love. So however love you want. Love. So this place, it used to be right down the street from us and then they uh-huh. closed and it was very sad. It was called Steve's grilled cheese. There's oh. still a couple of them open. Oh, I've heard of Steve's grilled cheese. Yeah. Basically if they have, if it's a dish that has cheese, they do it. Okay. And they had a, uh, like a chicken cheeseburger hmm. and like, Oh, like when they closed, I, I, I felt like it was my fault like i should have gone there more often like I even though Beck and i were probably going like every week it was like i could have gone more like like schindler's list i could have eaten another burger and saved them like. <laughs> great oh <laughs> uh, okay that, that that that's a good tip which i guess i can't act on if because you killed steve's grilled cheese so there are still RIP, other ones around. Steve. Um, there okay. are st- I think there's like two or three other locations, but the one that was like five minutes from us is the one that closed. Gotcha. So th- that was kind of sad. Okay. I'll, um, keep, I'll keep an eye out. Yeah. But any, any other bar band cover tunes I missed? I, I like that little, have, have you ever read Robert Stone, the, the fiction author? No, no. So, so he's uh, one of my favorite recent fiction authors. Uh, I like the little quote at the, uh, at the end of the sermon. Are having each other is both the good news and the bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great quote on community. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did write that down. I guess I just didn't hear that it was from him. Yeah. Because 
I'm not a, I'm Becca is the sermon note taker. I am not gotcha. a note taker, but the summer I was like, I should probably take notes. Um, yeah. And so like, as I was fiercely scribbling things, like I had a part of my worship folder was just like a reference box. And like, anytime oh, you made a reference, I was just like, I wrote like a name yeah. in the box. I wrote something in the box and then <laughs> I would go down and like fiercely start scribbling again, other things. So I like it. Um. So any guitar slim pickings? I know we talked about like all of the other, things that we could have done with uh, or that you could have done with um you know what does helper mean and naming the animals etc yeah. etc yeah and you mentioned the the one quote um you know about the the sort of christian ethic and how it's different than than the roman world was but any other slim pickings things on the cutting room floor the the one thing that comes to mind to mention for for those that were in the room on sunday or watching the watching the video i maybe this is a humble brag to say that I don't mess up like this very often, but Scott, did, did you see the record scratch moment where after we had Shelby Hamilton up to talk about the for others campaign, that there was just this huge pause when for the offering moment and in benediction that, that, that was completely my fault. So the plan was for me to preach the sermon, do the apostles creed, welcome Shelby Hamilton to the stage, do the offering moment, do the benediction. And I even had, had it written down and was planning on it, but just in the moment I, I forgot. But I think what happened was, and this is not to excuse because I was the one that didn't get this right. And Eric did a great job of, of covering for me. I think I was just kind of done talking. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a long and difficult sermon to preach. It was great hearing from Shelby, uh, prayed for her. And I, and I just kind of was like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, sometimes you don't have to cross the finish line <laughs> so so for for those who don't know um uh, I, I work sound at the church very often and um a guy named tom was was working the camera and both of us have like a sheet of paper of right. like where's the camera supposed to be who's speaking what microphone they're using yeah and yep. there's when you just like walk away and like offering said like Jim at the front and you like walk to the back yeah. and both of us like and, and I might be reading into Tom so like Tom if you're listening like I'm sorry if I'm speaking for you right now but I got the sense that Tom and I kind of looked at each other and was like uh what are we supposed to do like as right. as the as the technical people at the church I what what, what is our job right now like, yeah Right. No one gave us notes. I know. Um, well, it's it, it's a testament to the system that that Eric has put together and people like you and Tom execute that we don't have those slip ups really very often at all. So it, it is a it is a tightly choreographed ship, but it is, but there's still space for user error. That's the bottom. That's the bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted to go play some harmonica. I'm I'm done talking. I get it. I get it. I, I've been there. I've been there before. Long, long stretches of teaching, and it's just like I'm done. Like, yeah. So I, I, I sometimes it's 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 mid sentence. You're just yeah. that's yep. all. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know the, the the Ron Swanson like speech over walks away. Like. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. So yeah. uh, so that's all I got. Okay, so for the encore, uh, any Howlin' Wolves out there uh, got anything for us? One from Yvonne. Yvonne, I'm sorry that I forgot to mention this last week, but right before Christmas break, she 
wrote meant to write in for TPSB. I really appreciated the sermon this week. This was the the last one from Matthew, giving space mm-hmm. for both lamentation and joy that many of us experience during Christmas time is so important. Gives affirmation to our real experiences rather than hiding it under only joy allowed pretenses. Both joy and sorrow can exist in the same place, and it's important to see examples of that. So, Avon, thank you for writing in. And mm-hmm. yeah, Christmas time, the holidays are always times of both joy and sadness. Yeah. Um, you know, I had my own other Helen Wolf thing, but that was very deep and thoughtful and mine was like stupid in the brow. So I don't know if I want to share it anymore. Do it. So uh, uh, for those of you who don't know, not only am I guest host this week, but I'm also a Helen Wolf, kind of like the hair club for men president. Oh. Um, wait, wait, so- okay, wait, wait, sorry. Let me just, that, that's a, that's a great reference. I use it too. Sadly, I've my my kids like have no idea with the hair club. I I I mourn the passing of the cultural recognition of the hair club for men reference, but it's so great. So I'm a grumpy old man, even though like I'm fairly young, and like (laughs) this is also just one of those like this is what's wrong with this generation. I know. It's like like this this is why we're failing like (laughs) as a people. The the death of civilization. (laughs) Yes, basically. Um, But my other one you mentioned, uh, you made a reference to Jim Gaffigan. Oh uh, yeah, and and I love. He's probably one of my favorite. um, Like present day comedians um so so that was two sermons ago two sermons ago and um you know i don't know if you knew this but on his youtube channel during the pandemic he was posting a a video a day no um yeah so he he started off posting like little short like three to five minute segments from his series from his all the specials okay and recently he's uh, and then he started posting um uh, like compilations. So like all his jokes on fast food, all his jokes on exercise, they're like these 40 minute <laughs> compilations. And like, since you mentioned him, I've just been kind of like going back and listening to all the compilations and just like oh, enjoying myself. Um, I, with, with Jim Gaffigan, one of the specials. So I was watching it with my two boys, Josiah and Micah. I think mm-hmm. I've laughed the hardest I've ever laughed at ever at anything. Uh, I forget, I forget which comedy special of his it was, but he had this bit about a horse that just kept going and kept going and kept going forever. And it was just bonkers that like he stayed on this. It, it, at first it just seemed like a tangent, but he kept getting more joke out of it. It was, it was just yeah, a masterclass. I'm trying to remember <laughs> that one. I think I know what you're talking about, but yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's, good. he's a, he is a wordsmith. Um, <laughs> he, he beautiful is. So, <laughs> Well, folks, uh, the the encore is over. The house lights are coming back up and Mm. uh, make sure to rate, review and subscribe uh, to the podcast. If you haven't, I actually five star rated the first time uh, last week. I just I do the Apple podcast thing. And okay, again, in my grumpy old manness, I'm like, I don't understand technology. I don't know where the like unless there's like a right button right there in front of me like i don't know where to do it so i actually try to find it um oh but if you're you a prince but if you haven't rated reviewed and subscribed yet uh, go ahead and do that um and i think if there's anything else jim that you have we are one last thing for me pat mcadams and i are doing a test recording session this week as 
the first recording try for the next podcast that we'll be releasing on this feed. So it's okay. getting closer. That is exciting. Life's happening. <laughs> it's getting bigger. <laughs> it's getting <laughs> So I guess uh, with that, we'll ask you, how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching postmortem, production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre Sunday happy. That's what she said. <laughs>